Trinity Church. You're like, this was the right day to come. They're throwing out huge bags of candy. This is so great. This is actually my prop to remind you of what we still need. We have this incredible event. It was really fun. I, I caught Allison right after she was hosting. She is so excited about Missions Weekend that she skipped next week. Because next week is this. Halloween Hoopla is going on on campus. And it's going to be on Saturday morning, 10 to 1. A great time, not only for you, your family, your grandkids, whoever is going to come and just enjoy that time. A great opportunity to invite people from your relational world to just come and see. What is Trinity Church like? Come and be on our campus. But one of the ways that they will walk away, not only super glad they came and giving their parents problems all week long, will be you bringing candy. So if you can bring some to the church office this week, right in the front office, there's a great big bucket that are dropped in there. These are going to be added to that. And we'd love for you to uh, contribute. The other thing that I was talking to Kim this week, the other thing that she really needs is people who would come and help just for that day to help put a booth together. We're having kind of this quasi trunk or treat where some people will just be kind of be decorating the back of their trunk and handing out candy and others kind of running a game booth kind of during that time. So we'd love just for you to be able to say, you know what, I could do that, I could be a part of that. Contact the church, ask for Kim, and they'll, you'll get all the information that you need. But that's this coming Saturday the 30th, and we'd love for you to be a part of that. I'm so glad you're here today. My name is Todd Arnett. I'm the lead pastor at Trinity Church. It is great to see you. I appreciate it when Allison said earlier today, we're kind of getting that warm and fuzzy fall weather today. And so it's a great day to be together. I want to welcome those of you out on the pavilion and those watching online as well. And we're going to dive in today. We're continuing in a series called Death and Life. This idea in John chapters 11 and 12, where we see so much of these contrasts, both real obviously in the raising of Lazarus from death to life, but also in these really powerful things that Jesus is saying that he's teaching. And, and we've used that phrase so many times in life. This is a life or death situation. Well, what we're seeing is people are moving from death to life because of their belief and their faith, their confidence that Jesus is really the Messiah. And those we'll also see, we've seen them a couple times, who are moving away from any kind of life further into a spiritual death because they're refusing to accept and believe that Jesus is who he is. Today, we are looking at a passage that is wild related to people responding initially in great um, just uh, a sense of welcoming and a sense of acceptance that Jesus is the Messiah, something that we celebrate usually the week before Easter on Palm Sunday, Jesus' triumphal entry. And we'll see about that, what that faith looked like then and what it would look like just a few days later. So if you have a Bible today, if you'd find your way into John chapter 12, if you have um, notes, you got those in the back, there are paper notes in the back. We also talk about every week how we've got those available on our app. And I just want to remind you, it was really a great thing. I just so appreciate Scott Clayton and others that were helping get our app together right at the front end of the pandemic. Last April, a year ago April, we were able to get this in place 
and just such a helpful way to communicate and a helpful way to track with things that are going on. But if you haven't downloaded our app, I just want to encourage you to do so related to all the different features. I, I talk every week. I love the feature of having digital notes that I can fill in. Um, just right there on my phone, save them to my phone. They're available for later, available for my home group discussion, things like that. But then there's also so many things going on with different events that you can connect to, ways to even get involved in small groups or serving are all available on the app. So that's my little plug, just a reminder that that's there and available, and we'd love for you to take advantage of that and just stay better connected um, to Trinity Church. I just realized that we are dog sitting this weekend and there's dog hair all over my iPad. That's awesome. Not, not normally, I looked at that going, that is not normally there. But, uh, but today it happens to be. Well, we're gonna dive in today and as we look at this passage, I wanna encourage you just to process what's gonna be a little bit challenging is to not just read this passage, and especially if you've been in church for a long time, you, you kind of get it, because we, we do this literally every year. At some degree, we'll talk about what we now call Palm Sunday. But, but what I want to encourage you to do, I want you to encourage you to pull back a little bit from the flannel graph, pull back a little bit from the numerous times annually you've heard someone on this stage or a different one talking about what this triumphal entry was all about. And what I want to encourage you to do is I want you to be present. Not just present in the message, but I want you to be present in this narration and what we'll read about in John 12. Because what I think is so powerful is that we're going to see a people who don't just kind of give a little nod to the fact that Jesus is Messiah. This is full court, no holds barred, he's the one. And the wild thing that we're going to see within that is Jesus is not going to deny it. Jesus is never going to say, oh, no, 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 let's not do that today. He's never going to say, oh, no, you've got it wrong. Oh, you're putting way too much of an accolade upon me, the anointed Messiah coming today. He's never once going to push back, but he's actually going to get right in vain with their celebration and with their reaction of saying, this is Israel's king. So I want you to be in that moment today and I want you to see as we walk that out in our lives, the wild thing that I've always thought about when we engage or when we'll celebrate Palm Sunday annually, I've always thought about, we kind of know more of the story that they didn't get it right just days later. But what's really powerful is what they did on that Sunday doesn't make it any less true. And it's something that we get to live out daily in our lives. Jesus, you are king. And that's what we're going to celebrate today, that we really do recognize his messiahship. This narr narrative is in all four of the gospels, something a little bit rare. And so we'll see it from a diff couple different gospel writers' angles as well. Here's our now what statement in your notes and on the screen. Honor Jesus as king and rejoice in the fact that he has saved us from our enemies. Honor Jesus as king and rejoice in the fact that he has saved us from our enemies. Number one in your notes... Jesus presented himself as the long-awaited Messiah King. Jesus presented himself as the long-awaited Messiah King. We're in John chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. It says, the next day, the crowd that had come for the festival, the festival is Passover, and here we are receiving communion together where Jesus really, for the first time, really kind of made, it was kind of the first communion was in this week. Um, during the festival, they heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. 
They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. I was thinking about this. I don't know if you think this way. I don't know if your brain works this way. Mine does. I don't know if you've ever had a best day ever kind of day. I mean, literally, it's the kind that at the end of the day, you look back on it and you go, I could die happy. I don't know if you had any of those. I've had a few over the course of my life, and I count that a blessing for sure. It's kind of a weird thing to say, Lord, take me now. You're like, okay, yeah, sure. But I remember the first time I felt that way. I was a freshman in high school, and I'd had this great day. Of all days, it was a Sunday. It was a, a day that I was at church in the morning. I don't know how much that played into it as a high school freshman. I don't know if that's usually always my best day ever. But I was at church in the morning, and then I had a great afternoon that afternoon with my girlfriend and her family. Her name's Joanna. And so we had a great time uh, during the day. And then that night, our youth group got together for one of these things that we would often do. It was just a rich time being in this group of community, high school students who prayed together like I've never been a part of before or since. And then on the way home, somehow, we didn't have cell phones, I'm not sure how I got this message, but I ended up finding out I'd made the all-star team in baseball. This, I was flying high. And I remember thinking, does it get any better than this? As a high school freshman, that was about it, right? You're like, wow, Todd, that's a low bar. But for me, that was a big day. And I think about that, that concept, best day ever. And I think about what I think from the outside, people might have thought Jesus was feeling. Here he's been for three years in all kinds of different environments. He's done amazing supernatural miracles. He's taught in a way that no one has ever taught like him before. He has never once sinned. That alone should have got people's attention. At times he's been rebuked and other times he's had this incredible following. So this three-year season has ebbed and flowed, but here we are on this day. Here we are on this day and Jesus is going to enter into Jerusalem in such a way that you would think from watching it as part of the crowd, you would go, he must be thinking best day ever because the crowds have fully accepted him. They are chanting what he's been saying he is for the last three years. They're in full agreement and their actions and their words are saying he's the one. It's a fascinating perspective to have, and yet what we know so many times in life is that looks can be deceiving. What we're seeing with our eyes, there's a whole different layer, though, of what's going on that maybe can't be seen physically. And we'll see a little bit of that today of Jesus' reaction and his understanding of what's happening. I want you to see the irony of this day. We call it the triumphal entry, and rightly so, this for a millennia-weighted Messiah comes into town and he's received as such. And in that, there's this great sense of triumphal entry. He's finally, and even the way we'll unpack it today, the way he enters town is the way a, a conquering king would, a king who brings peace. But yet the triumphal entry in just a few days is going to end in what looks like utter defeat because this Messiah is gonna be hanging from a Roman cross. But the irony is this, 
is that in that, people would say, well, that's ironic. Triumphal entry, five days later, is hanging on a tree. He's going to die. But the irony is really the other way around, that what looks like at the cross, utter defeat, is where victory was really found. Because our greatest enemy, the Jews' greatest enemy 2,000 years ago, they thought was Rome. But their greatest enemy is our greatest enemy 2,000 years later, that's Satan's sin and death. And that's who Jesus conquers at the cross. So this, this whole thing is packed with irony, but not necessarily in the way that we would initially think, but in a way that's deeply profound. We pick up the narrative today, people running out to Bethany because Jesus has just left. He's been at Bethany, now he's making his way to Jerusalem. We saw last week this powerful narrative of Mary anointing Jesus and washing his feet with her hair. That the incredible just humility of that action, the incredible offering of perfume that was worth a year's wages was poured out at one time on one person. And what we learned from that Jesus is going to receive that and he's going to say, you don't know what's happening right here. She's preparing my body for death. And what we walked away with, my heart was really most impressed last week with the times when people around me have made extravagant offerings to Jesus and I didn't know what was happening. And like Judas and like Mary's sister Martha and another narrative, I've judged it poorly, I've judged it wrong. And I've realized I don't want to be that person who misses what's happening in that moment of an extravagant way of saying, Jesus, I love you so much. Bethany, we said last week, was two miles from Jerusalem, not far at all, not a long walk. And so as Jesus has the next day leaving Bethany to make his way to Jerusalem, it is people who have come for the Passover festival. They've traveled from all over the known world, not just from other parts of Israel, but they've come to this annual pilgrimage feast that celebrates God's amazing work in liberating Israel slaves, Jewish slaves from Egypt. And so as they've come from all over the world to celebrate this, they're there early in advance as the week is progressing and they hear about Jesus is just a couple miles away. So the interesting thing is they've come from all over the world to Jerusalem, but they leave Jerusalem and go to Bethany. They walk the opposite direction of where their destination was because they want to intersect with Jesus. Word gets out of what Jesus has done that he has raised someone from the dead and they're just completely blown away. They wanna come see for themselves. But what's fascinating is as they're walking towards Bethany, walking away from the holy city to meet Jesus on the road, they don't just walk out they do something incredibly poignant. They do something incredibly symbolic. Somebody must have had a really good knife somewhere nearby, and they start cutting off palm branches. And to us, we kind of think palm branches, and we lose a lot. Like, what, what is that all about? Was, was Jesus going to be too hot on his way from Bethany in Jerusalem? Think Cleopatra, right? Needed to be shaded. The other gospel writers, Mark and Matthew, they talk about how once Jesus gets to the front edge of the city, that people lay down their cloaks, their outer garments, they lay them down so this donkey that Jesus is on is gonna walk on their clothing while they're 
kind of waving these palm fronds? Were they worried that the donkey's hooves were sensitive to the cobblestone? See, none of the above. They weren't doing anything out of some concern of anything other than to completely overtly demonstrate that they're acknowledging that Messiah is in their midst. In your notes, both of these actions, laying down cloaks and palm branches, demonstrated a response to royalty. This was him. This was absolutely the one. This didn't happen. It had been hundreds of years since there was a king on Israel's throne. Israel is under the Roman rule that has really ruling most of the known world at this time. They're anything but a political part, a powerhouse. And yet they're acknowledging our long-awaited, not just another king of Israel, the king, the Messiah, the anointed one. He's here today. What's powerful, though, wasn't just what they did, it's also what they said. The word Hosanna, it's a, a word that, if you've been in church a while, is kind of known to you, but we don't necessarily know, well, what does that mean? It means bring salvation now. Save us. So just translate that Hebrew word into our vernacular. Jesus is walking down the streets of Jerusalem, these overt actions of palm fronds and cloaks on the ground, and people are crying out, save us. In their minds, what they were going to is most likely, save us from these Romans. Save us from not giving, having, letting us have this autonomy that we should have as the people of God. Get us out of this. That's one of the things that they were chanting. Another thing that people were saying is, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And you and I would hear that and we'd go, oh, that's really nice you know, to bless someone who comes in, Jesus, in, in Yahweh's name. But it's a quote from Psalm 118. Listen to the further context. It's up on the screen. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high, and the Lord's right hand has done mighty things. I will not die, but live and proclaim what the Lord has done. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he's not given me over to death. Open for me the gates of the, of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give thanks for you answered me. Watch, and you have become my salvation. You have saved me, Hosanna. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Many of us know this verse is applied multiple times in the New Testament to Jesus. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. This is the day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. And then here's that line. Lord, save us. Hosanna. Grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God and he has made his light shine on us. Watch with bows in hand. Join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. Often when bits, a line, a phrase from a psalm are quoted, the whole psalm is meant to be invoked. 
And I only read you about 12 verses of it. This whole psalm is all messianic. It's all about God has finally delivered on his promise. And Messiah today is among us. That's what they're chanting. The very last phrase that John records we could not miss. Blessed is the king of Israel. So I want you to catch this. It wasn't as though there were some people there that day who kind of thought, I think this could be him. It wasn't as though there were some in the crowd, some really extremist, crazy people, this is him, Messiah's here. And everyone else kind of going, I don't know. Let's see. In unison, the people were exclaiming, this is the one. He is who we have been waiting for. He's who all of our people, all generations have been waiting for, and it's happening in our time. I I want you to think about that just for a moment. If you could get into their sandals, and maybe you've got a palm from, and maybe as you hear the phrases that are being shouted out, you're joining in. And if just for a moment you can realize what's happening, Messiah's coming in your lifetime. He's not coming in your grandparents' lifetime. They missed it. He's not coming during the exile when God's people were scattered all over the world. He's not coming during the time of the prophets. He's not coming during King David's reign or King Solomon's reign. He's not coming in Joshua in the promised land. He's not coming to Moses out wandering in the wilderness. He's not coming to Abraham who was promised all these things. He's coming in your day. He's here. Since Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve decided to live their way, not God's, rebellion has been what has been at at place. It has ruled the day. Sin and death have been in charge related to human destiny during that time. But this is going to change, and it's changing right where you're at. If you've ever been to a thing in person that you look back on and you say, man, history hinged that day. Very few of us. Some of us have read newspaper articles. You've seen YouTube videos. Fine. But when you're there, There's something about taking that in and realizing this is happening right now. The wild thing, like we said earlier today, Jesus never goes, oh, come on. You guys are too much. (laughs) What does Jesus do? He does something prophetic. He does something very overt, very intentional, He finds a donkey and he sits on it to ride into the city. Now to you and I, we just go, oh, he must have been tired. Two miles is a long walk. For some of us it is, it wasn't for Jesus. Had nothing to do with him being tired. Had everything to do with him fulfilling a prophecy that was written about Messiah from the prophet Zechariah, verse nine of chapter nine. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion, shout daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 
Jesus knew this is the way Messiah was always to present himself. And and we lose even something related to this idea of, of not just any farm animal that Jesus rode in on. Not just any kind of livestock that would have the day. Jesus chose this particular type of animal for a reason. Carson sums it up really well. Look what he says. He, Jesus, does not enter Jerusalem on a war horse, which would have whipped the political aspirations of the vast crowds into insurrectionist frenzy. I just said so well. Jesus rides in a war horse. It's on. Rome is going down. Here is the day. No, he didn't ride in that way. But he chooses to present himself as the king who comes in peace. This is how a peaceful conquering king would come, gentle and riding on a donkey. So this moment, I want you to be in this moment. This moment must have been surreal. Not just for the people in the crowd, not just for the disciples who must have in their mind gone. This is what we've been waiting for. This has been three years leading up to this. Now it's finally come. But Jesus saw a whole lot more. And the wild thing is, even Jesus' disciples, the people closest to him, totally missed what was happening right in front of their eyes. And we'll see that in our very next verse. Number two in your notes. We can miss God fulfilling his promises even when they happen in front of us. We can miss God fulfilling his promises even when they happen right in front of us. Back to John chapter 12, verse 16. After this, this is John's commentary. After this, the disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had to be written about him and that these things had to be done to him. John gives us so much commentary in his gospel that is so helpful. He'll he'll interject thoughts and phrases at times that just really bring something to life. And John is writing not only firsthand that he was there, but firsthand as a disciple. And he's basically telling you and I, we saw all this with our own eyes. We didn't get it. We didn't know what was happening. We didn't know what was going on. We missed it. And, And you have to ask the question, you missed what? Like, were you sitting in the corner pouting when Jesus is being heralded as Messiah? No, they were right in the, the whole throngs of it. They missed the irony that we talked about earlier today. That what looked like this great, potentially political triumph was going to end in murder. But yet, a risen Jesus shows that in defeat, victory really happened. That's what they didn't get. That's what they didn't understand. It seems uh, familiar to us. John has actually given us commentary like this before in his gospel. John chapter 2, verse 22. When Jesus is talking about his body that was going to be raised, this temple being torn down, this is what he says. After he, after Jesus was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Oh, he said that. At the beginning of his earthly ministry, he said that, that break, uh, tear this temple down, I'll, I'll build it back in three days. Oh, that's what that's about. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. So it's this idea, and we've said this before, and we'll see this more in the future. There's something so transformational 
not just in Jesus's body ultimately being raised from the dead, but the effect that had on people. It changed them. People who would run in fear, people who would cower at rejection, now were as bold as we've ever seen, recorded in the book of Acts. Do whatever you have to do to me, I won't stop talking about Jesus and what he's done. And they become transformed when they witness the risen Jesus. Carson says it this way, about this, uh, this change of perspective. He says, not only is their failure to comprehend the nature of Jesus' kingship and the inevitability of the cross universally attested to in the Gospels, they never got it, never saw it coming, even though he was very clear. That failure almost was, I'm sorry, that failure also, that failure was also something that could not be misunderstood after Jesus' death and glorification. Christians could scarcely be thought to be Christians without understanding these fundamentals. Changed everything. Changed everything when they saw the risen Jesus. And I'd say to you today, as you consider this reality, many of us in this place believe that Jesus was far more than a rabbi who lived 2,000 years ago and was a really eloquent teacher. We believe that what the crowds were doing that day, even though they didn't understand it, and even though they had a different idea of what Messiah was here to do, we believe he was everything they said. We believe he was everything Jesus presented himself to be. And we believe it because on this side of the cross in the empty tomb, we realize that Jesus is unlike anyone else. And he really did conquer sin, death, Satan that day. So here's what I was thinking about. It's very easy for me, it's very easy for you to look back at characters in the Bible and be pretty critical. Ah, they didn't get it again. And I've done that many times. Ah, they missed it. But then this week, rather than looking out the window, I just started looking in the mirror. And I just started asking the question, God, where are the ways that your promises to me are, you're faithful, you do what you say you'll do, but I just miss it. And I was thinking about when Jesus says, never will I leave you or forsake you a promise that he's given to us. But when I feel isolated and abandoned, I am in that moment forgetting what Jesus has promised and what he's good for. And in that isolation and abandonment where my mind needs to trail to is God, I might feel this on a very human level from every other human being. But at the end of the day, you could not be more present. Your Holy Spirit abides in me. Your promise is true. When I think about Jesus' words that if you'll focus first on his kingdom, make that the first priority, then all of these basic necessities in your life, they will come. You need not worry about them. But then in my mind, when, when things don't look good in the banking account, when an unforeseen bill comes my way and I begin to fret... I'm forgetting that Jesus' promise is true and I'm just acting as though he never said a word. I can easily forget. When John writes later in his first letter to the churches, 1 John 1, when he writes that when I confess sin as such, God forgives me 
And I don't need to wallow in it, and I don't need to continue to not forgive myself when the one who I've sinned against says, I've forgiven you. Yet when I do that, I'm completely dismissing the promises of God. And he said that I don't need to any longer carry that baggage on my shoulders, but instead be free from it since I've said, I believe it to be wrong. I'm outside your will. Please forgive me. He does. That's a promise from God that I often fail to take seriously, fail to remember. And so rather than thinking about all these biblical characters who missed what was right in front of them, this week my attention turned a little bit to myself and going, Todd, how many times do you forget what's right in front of you? What God has so clearly promised in his word and decide instead to believe lies, and decide instead to believe something less than the truth. In your notes, you need not waste a lot of time criticizing these initial followers of Jesus, or even others around you who don't see the faithfulness of God on display. So obviously, when you are failing to recognize his ways in your own circumstances. We need not find all the critical thoughts of other people and not only those in biblical narratives, but even people in our lives. Man, you're missing it when we have to take stock of ourselves and go, man, I am missing it. God is this amazing God who has done so much for me and promises so much in my life with him. Let's pay attention there. Now, in the midst of all of this, I told you this account of Jesus riding into Jerusalem is in all four of the Gospels. One of the things that only Luke brings up is another part of the day that was lost on all the hoopla and all of the, the adoration and praise. Look at Luke 19, verse 41. As he, as Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. People are shouting in praise, lifting and raising back and forth palm branches, cloaks on the ground. This is the one. Save us, God. Yes, you fulfilled your promise. Jesus is outside the city weeping. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what could bring you, what would bring you peace? If you recognized who I really was and what I came to do, if you would open your eyes but now it is hidden from your eyes. You missed it. I'm Messiah, but I'm not here to overthrow Rome. I'm here to defeat your greatest enemy. Finally, today, number three in our notes, because of who he is and what he's done, people often naturally pursue Jesus. Because of who he is and what he's done, people often naturally pursue Jesus. What do I mean by that? John 12, 17. Now, the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, look what they did. They continued to spread the word. They couldn't shut up about it. They kept talking about it to everybody. You can't believe what this guy did. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, remember John's word for miracle, they went out to meet him. They were part of the crowd. They wanted to go and see. So the Pharisees said to one another, see, this is getting us nowhere. Being passive is not helping us. Look how the whole world has gone after him. John records in his gospel numerous times the way that when Jesus would do things or say things, people gathered. 
They wanted to come and see, and, and I love that phrase, they continued to spread the word. Nobody's brought back a guy four days dead. You gotta come see this guy. And if you don't believe it, let me introduce you to Lazarus, okay? This is legitimate, this, is, this will blow your mind. So they're spreading this word. People are coming out in droves to come and see. And all throughout John's gospel, John has shown us popular opinion, though, is never the point, because that ebbs and flows. But people are drawn. Remember John's whole purpose, why am I writing about these signs so that you might believe? Jesus says, even if you don't believe what I'm saying, at least believe the signs, believe the works that I'm doing. I'm doing things that nobody but God could do. So there's always a purpose of what these miracles lead to well beyond people being healed. But it's supposed to cement and solidify faith. Jesus isn't just a guy talking, Jesus is a guy doing. And those two things combined should mean something to me. So the crowds are in this place of a great attestation to the fact that he is something altogether different. This growing popularity, though, it only incenses the Pharisees all the more. We have got to stop him. We saw they were transparent a chapter ago. Everything we've worked for is going to be taken away from us if he's allowed to keep doing this. So in the midst of all these conflicting opinions and views, the reality is, is that people are out spreading the word. They're not getting paid to do this. No one's asking them to do this. They just can't be quiet about it. You know what's interesting? I was thinking about that and thinking not much has changed in 2,000 years. Think of it this way first, in just in terms of things that you get excited about. There's a new restaurant in town that you try out. And some of us are gonna post something and say, man, this was so good. Others are gonna go tell friends, we'll take someone there next week. You find a new recipe, you see a new movie. You use a company that does a great job for some sort of service, and you want to tell other people, these people are great. It's a very natural human thing to want to, quote, spread the word when things are favorable, when things are good. And by the way, we tend to do it when things aren't great, too. It's called Yelp. <laughs> but here's the interesting dynamic away from things related to marketing and now just thinking about when we interface with Jesus. There's something about it that moves us to simply want to tell others. What's wild to me is when I'll have conversations with people who are relatively new in their faith and I realize in talking to them just a short amount of time no one needed to say anything. I didn't need to say a word about encouraging them to tell the people in their relational world of who Jesus is and what he's done for them. It's just supernatural. Just flows off the tongue. I, why, why wouldn't it? He's way better than a new recipe. He's way better than a new restaurant I checked out. All my illustrations I do with food today for some reason. Um, he's way better than that. You, you gotta find out about him too. He's changed me. And at Trinity Church, our mission is to help continue to equip people to live lives rooted in Jesus as they're reaching their worlds. It's really simple. It's very basic. 
rooted in Jesus, reaching our worlds. And the reality is, is that as you are living out that spreading the word, as you are living out this reality of the ways that Jesus continues to show up and bless and grow your life, we as a church simply want to be a group of people who come alongside you to create more avenues for that to just be more and more obvious. This Halloween hoopla that we're doing this Saturday is primarily for that premise. We simply want to create an environment for you to be able to bring people from your relational world who've never been to Trinity Church before and may never have another reason to be on this campus. But we'd love for you to invite them to come and see. And our hope is, as they're walking around our campus and as their kids are getting way too much candy per capita, our hope is, is that they're wondering, A, thank you, Thank you for inviting me, my kids, to a safe place where they could enjoy this event. But secondly, I wonder what they do here on Sunday. Come and see. That's it. Come and see. Creating partnerships to help you be that person of influence in your world. Now, it's wild. Our passage ends today with these Pharisees saying, and if we don't stop him, the whole world, look at the whole world is going after him. The wild thing is that's where our passage picks up next week is literally people from around the world coming and saying, could I please meet Jesus? For today, the way that we'll finish is something that we talked about earlier is that we look at this, this palm parade as it were. By the way, look in your notes, I missed a blank. That's a horrible thing. Jesus has made all the difference in our lives and we simply want to let others uh, that we have relationships with, relational equity with, know how he can make all the difference in their lives too. As we close, I want to remind you, make no mistake that this celebration, this adoration of Jesus is going to take place. Make no mistake that his people will gather around him and they will say, not just with a plea, please save us, they'll recognize you have saved us. Revelation chapter 7 after this, the same author of the Gospel of John is writing about this vision. I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. Where were they from? Every nation, every tribe, every people and every language. Standing before the throne and before the lamb, throne and furs, there's a king. So they're around the throne of God and they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne. He's conquered and to the lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Yay, God. That day is coming. I can't wait to be around that throne with you, waving those branches and saying, God, we're not just calling out for salvation. We recognize you've saved. This week, would we be a people who honor Jesus as king and rejoice in the fact that he has saved us from our greatest enemies? Let's pray. Father, we come before you today as a people who 
we read this narrative from John chapter 12 and we want to get into those sandals. We want to be present when this overt demonstration of both what was said and what was done demonstrated that Jesus is the long-anticipated, long-awaited Messiah. And Father, we know more of the story. We know the crowds are going to be fickle and they're going to change their posture in just a matter of days. But for us, Father, we believe these words that were said about Jesus. We believe that he is the anointed king, not just of Israel, but he's come to the world to save us, to rescue us from sin and death and Satan, our greatest enemies. And we just rejoice in the fact that he is who these crowds said he was. If you're here today and you may be at a place where you're realizing, maybe even for the first time, events that are going on in your life that are causing you to realize, I need rescue. I need saving. And I want you to know that this savior of the world who did these things 2,000 years ago did them for you today. And the way that you begin to be saved, the way that you look to him for salvation begins by A, admitting that you're a sinner who needs a savior, admitting that the problem begins with the way you've lived and the way of simply your nature falling short of the goodness and the glory of God. B, believe. Believe that this sinless savior, he died on a cross, was risen three days from the dead, and what looked like utter defeat was incredible triumph. Believe that what Jesus did at the cross in the empty tomb, he did for you. And see his choose. Choose to say, Jesus, I put my confidence in what you did, not in what I can try to do religiously. I want to live my life following your example. That's a response to this gospel invitation. And I pray not another moment would go by until you respond. Do this today. Father, we love you. Thank you so much for being this God who embodied, who lived out this word, Hosanna. We love you and we pray in Jesus' spectacular name. Amen.